0: God, thank you for your word. Thank you for these women and just what a gift they are to me and to my heart. Um, Thank you for just the encouragement that it is to see women giving up an evening in their summer to come out and study and to learn and grow in our love for you. Pray that this time would be edifying and glorifying to you. In Jesus' name, amen. So Hopefully that discussion time was helpful. Uh, the reason why we want to kind of flip flap when we're doing discussion is really simple. It's just a matter of we want you to learn how to study your Bible, and then study it in community, and then learn from teaching. So when you're studying your Bible, you're studying it by yourself, and hopefully over these next four weeks we'll give you some helpful tools to study, so that next month you can go on and study by yourself, or with a friend, or even a non-believer. But then when you come together, sometimes what happens, and I find myself doing this all the time, when we have teaching and then discussion, it quickly turns to, well, like she said, or like he said, and now you're just talking about that person rather than what does God's word say and what has the Holy Spirit revealed to you and what is it saying? So hopefully these discussions are really helping you learn how to study together in community and bring questions. As you're studying, bring questions to your group and say, okay, what do you think of this? Or what's this What's this all about? Or did you notice this? So hopefully that's helpful. The questions are set up, like we said in the intro, to be vague because we want you to literally take this and be able to go, oh, okay, I'm seeing some things that we do every week. Maybe I can do this with the book of Colossians next month and just copy and paste and go, okay, what are some repeated words? What are, how can I read this repetitively? What are some questions I can ask? So, um, we really do want to give you the tools that you need to go home and study the word for yourself. Because if we just jump from one study to the next, to the next, to the next, we won't ever learn how to study the Bible for ourselves. So, yeah, let's get into it. Uh, We have a lot to cover. It seriously is daunting to do a whole chapter in 30 minutes. So that's why you studied it for a whole week. I was talking to Jake and he was like, how am I supposed to teach all of this, Sarah? And I was like, well, they've been studying it for a whole week, so we don't have to. So we're going to start tonight with a picture. So we've got two pictures here, and I want you to look at this first one and just kind of observe this picture Kind of look at that and then let's see the next one. Okay, so there's some similarities in the pictures and there's some differences, right? There's the similarities of there's a group of people, they're outside, we don't exactly know what's going on, but similarities, differences. So keep that in your mind, we'll come back to that in a little bit. But tonight, I'm a linear thinker, so I like to know where we're going. So we're going to talk about four words tonight. Those four words are identity, joy, purpose, and partnership. Identity, joy, purpose, and partnership. So like we said in the intro video, again, if you haven't watched that, that's really helpful to just, before you start a book to get some intro into where this book is coming from so if you haven't watched that go ahead and watch that uh, this week but like we said in the intro the book of philippians is written by paul and timothy okay so he opens the letter just like any traditional letter he says paul and timothy servants of christ jesus to all the saints in christ jesus who are at philippi with the overseers and deacons. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Sounds like a normal opening to a letter. Uh, The traditional openings to these letters would be like who it is to the recipients. But there's a couple things that I wanna point out to you and really you could spend all night just on this opening salutation. We can't do that tonight, but there's two things that I want to make note of. Um, The first one, when you look at this, it says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. Now, this is different. If If you're a seasoned reader, if you've read Paul's other epistles, you might have noted this, that he doesn't normally refer to himself as servant of Christ Jesus. He normally refers to himself as an apostle so there's a few reasons why he might we don't exactly know why but why would he refer to himself as servant in this letter one i think that it could be because he's writing to friends these are friends who have partnered with him this is a genuine intimate letter of thanks to friends at philippi so he's writing to these friends and It's not like he's writing to a church and saying all of these things they need to change. Where he needs to say, Paul, an apostle, and kind of reaffirm his authority to telling them, like, I can say these things to you. So that's one reason. Another reason is he is showing them who he is. His identity is a servant of Christ. When you think of servant, it's normally we think of like slave, and our mind goes right to slavery. Now we have to kind of reverse that. A servant in this culture, he's saying his master is Jesus Christ. His identity is placed in who's his master? His master is Jesus Christ, and he's not finding his identity in anything other than serving the Lord himself. He's also giving a good example right off the bat of something we'll see later on in the letter uh, next week in Philippians 2. One of the main themes of this book is humility and selflessness. And so for him to refer to himself as a servant of Christ Jesus, when he really could say, I'm an apostle, I've got all of this stuff to put my confidence in. Like in chapter three, he lists all that off, but he just says, I'm a servant of Christ. So he refers to himself as a servant. Then he goes on and he says, to all the what? All the saints in Christ Jesus. And this this took me a while to really pick up on when I was reading and reading it repetitively over and over and over again. And I know that can be annoying, but it's worth it, so don't skip over that every time. Um, If I were to have asked you when you walked in the room tonight, here's a sheet of paper, right? Who are you? Whitney Welp, who are you? One word, two words, who are you? I guarantee you, saint would not be the first, probably not the 20th word I would write down for myself. I I don't think of myself as a saint, but we should, because that's who we are. Because God defines us by whose we are, and not what we do. So often we think that we're defined by if we're male or female, if we're a certain skin color, if we're married, if we have kids, what our job is, how much money we make. We can find our identity in so many things and we can think that that defines us, but it doesn't. this is something that I think we could spend weeks on as women especially because it's so easy to get caught up in the world and what does the world want us to find our identity in? It's something that I struggle with a lot. And where do I place my identity? Where do I what defines me? But what does the Bible say? The Bible says a lot about this. And if you just want to just take a journey through the Bible and look about What does God say about us? Who are we and whose are we? First Peter 2.9 says this, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of the darkness into his marvelous light. (laughs) This is who we are we're a chosen people, we are saints, we're holy, we're beloved, we're children of God, we're daughters of the King. If any of those words didn't come to your mind when I said, who are you? One or two words, who are you? If that didn't come to your mind, we have to realign our thinking to reset our minds to think, okay, Who am I? Who does God say I am? And that is my true identity, who God says I am. And then, look at this. When you look at 1 Peter 2.9, who we are determines what we do. So I'm going to read 1 Peter 2.9 again, because I know you don't have it in front of you. You're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you." So this is like so beautiful. This is who you are defines what you do. And this is why it's so important for Paul to set the letter up this way. He's telling them from the start, servant of Christ, saints in Christ Jesus. So why is Paul writing this letter? Well, like we said before, he's writing it as a letter of thanks. Let's look at verse 3 here, Philippians 1-3. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy. So here's the first time we see this wonderful word of joy in the book of Philippians. And this was a word that we had you highlight or underline whatever you like to do look for the words joy and rejoice and you're going to do that through the whole book of philippians because this is one of those repeated words and just again repeated words are really helpful to look for when you're studying the bible and there's a lot extra credit for someone who finds the other repeated words in philippians because there's more I just didn't want to overwhelm you. But there's more. So if you start picking up on other themes, do it yourself. Like start, start training your mind to see those repeated words. But this first time he refers to joy is in reference to thanking God in prayer for the Philippians because of their partnership in Christ. So when he thanks God for them, he encourages them. But before I go on, I want to just take a quick moment moment and define this word partnership before we keep going, because we're going to use it a lot in uh, this study. And I also want to define gospel, because partnership in the gospel is something that you're going to see a lot. So what is partnership? Partnership is a joint participation and consistent support. Joint participation and consistent support. So it's working together. Sometimes you'll also see it translated as fellowship of believers. And what's, what's the gospel? The gospel, simply put, is the good news of Christ. But let's just flush that out, because I don't want to fly by this just thinking that everyone knows what the gospel is. Someone watching online knows what the gospel is. The gospel is that God, in his sovereignty, created man and woman in right relationship with God. And Adam and Eve sinned, and that separated their relationship, their sin from a holy God, And that sin was passed down from generation to generation, all the way down to us. Sin is in us. But the Bible says the wages of sin is death. The earning for your sin is death. But God sent his son to pay for that. He paid that wage with his death on the cross. He took the punishment. He took the wrath of God on our behalf. And he rose again three days later, conquering death so that we might have a right relationship again with God now and forever into all eternity. So partnership in the gospel, those are two definitions for those two words that we're going to hear a lot. And Paul gives joyful thanks for their partnership in the gospel. And I think this is so beautiful. Let's look at what he says. Verse 5, because of your partnership in the gospel, from the first day until now, there's your consistent, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it out to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So he thanks God for them, and then he encourages them. And he encourages them with the simple truth that God started the work in you, and he's going to finish it. And this truth has been so life-giving for me on my days where i am just sick of my sin and just worn down why can i not get over this the same god who started the work is going to finish it and he's going to carry it out to completion and we saw in our study as we continued to read through philippians it's the same god who starts it who carries it on who helps us and he completes it. He's with you all along, the Holy Spirit is guiding you. He gives us everything we need for life and godliness. So he encourages them and then he prays for them. And this is such a gift. I don't know if you've had a friend do this for you. Send you a text, write you a letter, pull you aside at church on a Sunday morning, and just pray. The gift of prayer for a sister in Christ is such a treasured gift. And I was convicted of this as I was reading that I need to do this more often, even if it's through text, even if during this COVID time, you can't go and just throw your arm around your sister and pray over her. You can text her and not just say, I'm praying for you, but type out the words that you're praying to give them power and encouragement. And many of you in this room have done that for me, and I'm so thankful for that gift. And Paul does that. He does that in this, in this chapter. He says, and my prayer is that your love may abound more and more with the knowledge and discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness. So you can kind of see how this all goes together, and this is one of the biggest reasons why we study the Bible, why we're doing this, because look at the, proge- the progression. He prays that their love would abound more and more with knowledge and discernment. When you grow in your knowledge of something, You grow in your love and appreciation for it. So as we study God's word and learn more about who God is, because remember, the Bible is a book about God, that we're going to grow in our love for him. And then it just continues on. Because our love grows, we're able to live fruitful lives that are pure. So when we grow in our knowledge of him, the overflow is love and a fruitful life. So that's his prayer. And that's if you want to pray for a sister in Christ and you don't know what to pray, go and read the beginning of epistles because a lot of times you're going to see a prayer written out. And just pray those over your sisters in Christ. Just, okay, today I'm going to pray Philippians 1 for this sister in Christ. And it gives you wonderful words to pray for a sister, that their love would abound more and more. So he opens it with his greeting and his thanks, and then he gives an update. So this is similar as I'm trying to think through, okay, this is a, a letter to a friend. You know, you're, you're trying to receive it the way that the the recipients would have received it so this is a letter to a friend this would be like me sending a text i received a a very thoughtful gift from a dear friend this year and she just went above and beyond just with a simple gift of thoughtfulness for me and i felt so loved and in my response this is a similar thing of what Paul is doing. So in my response, I texted something like this. Hey, so-and-so, thanks so much for your sweet gift. I'm so thankful for your treasured friendship and encouragement during this difficult time. I'm still struggling with grief, but I'm trusting the Lord during this time. So you see, even we do this in our text messages, and I'm just trying to like relay how this is very similar to how we talk today. We say, hey, so-and-so, and then you give thanks, right? And you might even say, you've encouraged me so much. And then you give an update. How are you doing today? And that's exactly what Paul's doing. So verses 12 through 18 is just his update. How is he doing? His current status is he's in prison or house arrest. So we talked about this in the intro in Acts 28, we see that Paul is under house arrest. We don't know exactly when he wrote it, but at some point when he was in jail, he wrote the book of Philippians. And I, I can't quite wrap my mind around sitting in a jail cell or even in my house under house arrest and penning these words. I, like... I have to keep reminding myself, like, this guy is not sitting on a beach just writing, like, rejoice always. He's remaining faithful, and he's remaining joyful, and I think that that's because he knows what his purpose is, what his theology of life is, because right after he says, hey, here's where I'm at, here's where I'm struggling, he goes right into... Verse 18, Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. But he's not really saying, I know for certain I'm going to be freed from jail. Because he goes on to say, To live is Christ and to die as gain. So he's not saying, I know for a fact that I've got insider information and I'm getting out of here tomorrow. He's saying, I'm going to be delivered either way because my hope is in Jesus Christ and my purpose, my theology of life is set in honoring and glorifying Christ. His goal is to please Christ and live for him. So when he sees that, that his purpose is to honor Christ, to glorify Christ, he's able to say, rejoice. I'm sitting in prison, but I can rejoice. So let's look a little bit further. He says in verse 21, For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell." He had a very certain path and aim in his life. His purpose was, I'm going to aim for Christ, I'm going to honor Christ, and that is my goal and purpose. And you can see that that theology of life, or his purpose in life, radiated with how he dealt with difficult times. When we go through trials, when we go through difficult times, our joy, what we find our joy in, what our purpose is, just comes out right away. It's identified right away. And I think it's very interesting that the book, when, if you Google what's the happiest book in the Bible, just Google it, Philippians, right away. What's the book about joy? Google it, Philippians, right away. It's, that's not insignificant because Paul's purpose was firmly placed in Christ. And so he was able to have joy, even in difficult circumstances. So when he's sitting in prison and he's dealing with difficult trials, he can have hope. And that's just almost like I just envision like something being wrung out. So several weeks ago, well, as Jake mentioned on Sunday, we do not have a big pool. We have a kiddie pool, though. And Judah, our four year old, was swimming in the pool. And he's been potty trained for a long time, but he's in this phase. I don't know if any of you can relate. Boy, mom, he's like total in play mode and doesn't want to stop to play. So he's like dancing around in the pool, you know? And I'm like, buddy, you better go, you better go. So finally he jumps out of the pool, goes running inside and he's pulling on his like wet you know, trunks. And he's like, I can't. And ends up having an accident on the trunks right there at the toilet. And if I were to just walk into that situation, luckily I knew what was going on. But if I were to just walk in, I would have looked at his swimming trunks and they're wet. Like, they're wet. You were just in the pool. But I would have got something very different than I thought if I were to, like, wring them out. You know, like, ugh, just reeks. But that's exactly what trials in our life does is it just takes our life and it just rings it out just enough to reveal what we're clinging on to and what we're looking to as our greatest purpose. And every time we go through trials, God is just ripping away those things that we find our joy in, that we find our identity in. That we look to as, that's why I'm here. That's my purpose. And God's just taking those and he's saying, no, look to me. Look to who I say you are. Look to what defines you that I say defines you. And what is your greatest purpose? It is to glorify me and worship me forever. So Paul says something very similar in 2 Corinthians 5 6 through 9. And this is something that I need to get better at and this is why you'll see this question every week in your interpretation day of what other passages does this make you think of? This is teaching our minds to cross-reference and that only to, it just takes practice so if you leave it blank every time it's okay but just try to think. What does this make me think of? And maybe things will start coming together. 2 Corinthians 5, 6 through 9 says, We know that while, we're, while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. Our aim is to please him. And that's exactly why in verse 27 of Philippians 1, Paul says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ Jesus. He's saying, make it your aim to please him. Let everything in your life be worthy of the gospel. Now, he doesn't say let everything at church be worthy of the gospel, or everything while you're reading your Bible, or everything that you're doing, anything church-related, be worthy of the gospel. It's your life. And that is all-encompassing. Whatever we do, glorify the Lord. Whether it be when you're talking to that neighbor who disagrees with you, or when you're tucking your kids in bed, when you're going to that secular job and you hate it, whatever you do, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel so that we can put on display His glory and honor. So again, what's our aim? What's our goal? It's to please God by glorifying Him. So, as we wrap up, I want to pull those last two pictures up. So, this picture is actually a picture of a a search and rescue crew. These people are out searching for a missing hiker, and they've all been identified as search and rescue people. That's their identity. And their main purpose is to find that one missing person. They all have the same purpose. They're walking side by side to find that missing person. But so often we turn our life into this, the next picture. This is a cross country race. And how often when I look at my life, do I Look like this. Especially that guy just face first in the dirt. <laughs> Racing. Looking side to side. Right to left. What are they doing? What are they doing? I've got to be first. I've got to be better. I've got to look better. I've got to put my identity in everything else. We race against each other rather than what Paul says in these next verses that we should be doing. Look at what he says. He says, So that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. That first picture, they were striving side by side to find that one missing person. And what happens when we... Lord willing, would know what our identity is, who we are, we're not searching for our identity. When we find our purpose, and we know that our purpose as believers in Christ, is to glorify God and make it our aim to please Him. When we're all doing that in one accord, we are in perfect unity and able to strive side by side. And there might be differences, but we're able to strive side-by-side for a common goal and a common good so in a room like this especially right now in a season that i feel like everything is so polarizing when i get on facebook i'm like oh my goodness i don't know about this or this or i feel like Things that I felt like I had unity in with people I don't anymore, or I have differences. In a room this size, we can have a lot of varied differences in a lot of things, but we can have a common goal and a common unity of making it our aim to please Christ and glorify Him together so that we can join Him in seeking and saving the last because when we're together in unity what does that tell the world the world sees us by our love and our unity and they're going to want to know what's different about you how can you all be unified in this one purpose because we have a common goal That we would stand firm in one spirit with one mind. This is what partnership is, striving side by side together. And I just wanna like bring it home for us. What does it look like at home here, 2020, in a polarizing world? What does it look like? One, it looks like we need partnership in the gospel. It's not a question, we need to stop with the, the fluffy friendships that don't amount to anything and the comparison, the looking right to left, the I don't know what she thinks of me. I, I started, I'm just going to tell you right now, I got out of the pool this afternoon with the kids and started getting ready and I'm like, oh my goodness, like, what do I wear, what do I, how do I look, my hair looks crazy. Like, and then all of a sudden I'm like, oh my goodness, I've been studying all week on identity and comparison and purpose, and why does that matter? Stop comparing and partner together for the sake of the gospel. This can look a lot of different ways, and I don't want to get too specific because I want the Holy Spirit to reveal in your heart. What does this look like? reach out to a friend how do you partner with someone maybe you need to just pray over someone maybe it's you need to reach out and say hey i i need to be vulnerable and open with someone because we need to partner together maybe we're going to talk about this in a couple weeks it's partnering with a missionary that's a whole nother like different partnership but that's very important and we're going to talk about it in a few weeks but what does partnering look like? So we're going to spend the next 10 minutes together talking about, now that we've talked about purpose and identity, where do you put your purpose and identity right now? <laughs> I loved what Casey said. I want to say Jesus, and I know the right answer. But what, what really, truly, like where do you find your identity and purpose, and how can you make that? the right thoughts, the right living. And then the second question is, what's one step you can take towards partnering with another believer or other believers for the sake of the gospel? So we've got about 10, 12 minutes, and then I'll come back up and close us out.